0: Good morning. Please turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 8. Miss Jong, we have a prayer meeting that's on Wednesday night that we, we do on Zoom. And since you've been visiting our church, we've prayed for you almost every time. And I just wanted to say publicly that it's been a blessing to have you with us. God bless you. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your love, your kindness. Father, you've brought us all together. You've brought us all together in the name of Jesus. Please help us to be of one mind, to be in unity, to dwell together in peace. Father, help us to be holy. And help us now as we look to your word. We pray that in reading about your work in the church from ancient times, that we would understand that this is a gigantic mission. It's not over. It's being accomplished even now. Help us, Lord. Give us a bigger vision for the lost. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Last time we read the end of chapter 7 and the beginning of chapter 8. Let me remind you, the chapter divisions are not inspired. And neither are the verse divisions. Right? The chapters, I think, that around the 10th century were added, or 11th century, and the verses some 400 years after that. So for millennia, the church had the scriptures with no chapter division and no verse division. So we spilled over from one chapter to the next. Don't let it bother you. We, we were reading about Stephen who was preaching to them. And if you remember, he was exposing the sin of Israel. He was exposing it. God, he, this is in essence what he said. You always reject the people who God sends to you. You do it. He gives them some examples of how their forefathers had done it. And he's bringing it to a conclusion that, and you're doing that now. The greatest of all servants, the greatest of all prophets, the greatest of all priests that God ever sent. You killed him. Now you're accusing me because I say, or that Jesus said that the temple isn't really what's going to be important anymore. Stephen says, God does not live in houses made by hands. That's not what's important. God has revealed himself. Jesus has made him known. His plan is that he's going to live inside of his people. And the people fitted together as stones are the temple. But where is the temple? It's wherever God's people are. Worldwide. The building... Yes, God worked through the temple, but he doesn't dwell there merely. He's everywhere where his people are. He lives inside of them. And the text told us they were enraged and gnashed their teeth at him, ground their teeth together. And unfortunately, in God's sovereignty, though, Stephen did not get to finish his sermon. The Sanhedrin, we are told, would not listen anymore. Their sins had separated them from God. They could not bear to hear the truth. Instead, they wanted to believe the lie God is with us because we're Jews. It matters not what we do. He's with us. We are His people. And they're wrong. They're wrong. If circumcision of the flesh, but uncircumcision of the heart, you're not God's people. And Stephen has a vision. As they're refusing to listen, as they are enraged, he has a vision of Jesus standing in heaven. To me, the implication is concerned. Concerned. Present, alert to the situation, Jesus is. And he tells them, "I see Him standing." And even, even hearing that he's saying, "I see God right now." They refused to listen, and they stoned him to death. It's very gruesome. No trial, right? And from what we know about the times, they were permitted to put people to death without Roman involvement anyway, right? So this seems more like a lynching, something like that. No trial, vigilante justice. You made us so angry, we'll just skip over all that and just murder you in public. And then we read about Philip's ministry in Samaria. If you remember, the woman at the well that Jesus met was in Samaria. And many people at that time would go around Samaria, but Jesus went there on purpose. This is no accident that he happened to be in Samaria and happened to meet a woman by the well and happened to tell her everything she had ever done and she happened to go tell everybody that come see a man who told me everything this is not an accident God intends to work in Samaria Philip goes down to Samaria and the Bible says that they paid attention when he preached They listened to his message. They saw the signs that God did through him. If you remember, he cast out evil spirits and even healed the sick. And joy came upon the people because of what God was doing there. Because of forgiveness and deliverance from God. Well, that brings us to today's text, verse 9 of chapter 8. We'll read till verse 25 today. There, but there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money? Now, when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Amen. So Philip is in Samaria and presumably others with him, and they're preaching the gospel. If we read verse 7, unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria. Apparently he was very good at magic. And probably... Helped by spiritual forces of evil. Now listen, when we think of magicians now, do do you think that they're actually helped by evil spirits? I mean, it's possible. It's definitely possible. But most of them are just very good at diverting your attention somewhere while they do something else with the other hand that you're not looking at. Sleight of hand. Here, let me pull a rabbit out of a hat. Okay, did the rabbit just appear out of nowhere? If you had a secret camera, you would see the preparation that they did backstage to prepare a rabbit to be pulled out of a hat later. I don't think that's what's happening here, though possible. At least a combination is possible. Some sleight of hand, some actual magic. If you think about Moses... As God sends him to Pharaoh and he says, let them go or something bad is going to happen. You remember? And the, the Egyptian magicians were sometimes able to duplicate what Moses had done. What? How? We know how Moses did it. God did it through him. But how were they able to do it? Apparently, the spiritual forces of evil... Were with them, and enabled them to do things that are miraculous. I mean, amazing. Let's say, and that's what we are told in the text. He had practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria. And not only that, but he was even bragging about himself saying how great he was because of the things he was able to do that amazed them. And if you look at it, he became a stumbling block to the Samaritans, didn't he? They started praising him as if he was a god. He is the power of God, the text says. And verse 11, for a long time he amazed them with his magic. Mysterious signs, listen to me, mysterious signs and magic are not necessarily an indicator of divine influence. Right? If somebody appeared on the scene right now that was able to turn a staff into a snake, not a trick, it actually would become a snake in our sight. That wouldn't mean that God is with them necessarily. Right? Mysterious power is not an indicator necessarily that God is with them. And if they were to preach a different gospel other than the one you've already heard, do not receive such a one. In fact, they are accursed according to Paul you remember the way his language was? He says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly leaving the gospel because of tricks. Even if an angel should appear before you, you've already heard the truth. Hold fast to the truth. So it's no indicator of divine influence. And in fact... I tell this to Lydia because she really likes stories about magicians and spells and various things. And I actually think they're very interesting stories, too. Um, but I tell her, you know, that's just fake. That's not real. In, in real life, it's strictly forbidden by God. Is it not? Not. Quote, there shall not be found among you anyone who burns his sons or his daughter as an offering. Anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer or one who inquires of the dead. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out from before you. Deuteronomy chapter 18. And it's, it's very prevalent in the scriptures. Quote, and he burned his sons as an offering in the valley of the son of Hinnom. And used fortune telling and omens and sorcery and dealt with mediums and with necromancers. He did much evil in the sight of Jehovah, provoking him to anger. Second Chronicles 33. And Paul even brings it up again in the New Testament. The deeds of the flesh, they're evident. The point is, it's not hard to see them. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry... Sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, so on and so on, just as I have forewarned you, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Galatians chapter five. So this magic that Simon is doing here, it is not sanctioned and authorized by God. It is strictly forbidden. But the people are taken by Him. They, they want to see more. The things that He does, it's a show. They enjoy it. They want to see more of it. Do you think that they knew it was strictly forbidden? I bet you they did. They all paid attention to Him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. Great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But then, verse 12 happens. This man Simon, who's not been living in according to God's ways, but according to the ways of evil. And the town, after hearing the gospel through Philip, they believed the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus. And I don't think this is the point of this passage, but I think it's it's useful. Listen to the way this is phrased. When they believed Philip, as he preached good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus, they were baptized, both men and women. Do you see the order of what happens here? When they believed, they were baptized. Not before. In Asia, sometimes believers would be baptized and they really wanted to bring their children with them too because they felt like this is a blessing for everyone. And Brother Chang would tell them, I know, I know, but not yet for them. I know, I know what you want, but that's not the right order. Believe first. And then be baptized. Anyway, I don't think this is a section about baptism. But that is what happened in the text. That's the order. But even Simon believed? This magician? Like if this is a true conversion, wow! Right? This isn't a guy who is thinks he, he's either neutral to the things of God or even maybe... Pro-God, kind of. I mean, he's actively participating in wickedness, even demonic influence, probably. They hear the gospel, many people in Samaria, and Simon too. He is baptized, the scripture says, and that he continued with Philip after that. What do you mean he continued? I think he followed him around. He wanted to be close to him which is not rare in the scriptures, right? When people come to know God, the person who tells them the gospel, they follow that person now. It's like, I know nothing. i have just saved like five minutes ago. I have to follow you. I got to know how all this works. And, but the, the text says that Simon was amazed by the signs and great miracles that were performed. I don't think that I think that that's a that's a bad hint early on. He's amazed, and we see right away he's more interested in the signs themselves than what what the signs are meant to do. If you look there, verse um, the end of verse thirteen, and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed we'll get back to it but the the signs are meant to show the validity of of the ministry of Jesus and the apostles right that's the that's their purpose how do we know Jesus is from God he told the wind to stop and it did have you ever even heard of such a thing this guy has been blind since birth but Jesus healed him have you ever even heard of that it's never happened and more and more and more that Jesus did, it's the blind man himself said, you don't know where he's from? How dumb can you be? Nobody could do it unless God was with them. And the apostles, remember Jesus said, you'll do greater signs than these. The apostles also performed great miracles. We are told even the shadow of the apostles could heal we, that's not mentioned that that happened with Jesus. You remember the woman with the issue of blood? She had to touch him, though, right? And, and Jesus, that's kind of an interesting thing to think about. He feels that power has left him. That's interesting. Anyway, the signs are meant to to show God is, approves of their ministry and the signs that they do are not in conflict with God's revealed word. You understand? The signs themselves alone, sometimes evil, does miraculous things or amazing things to us. But because they're working with, in accordance with God's word as well, But what Simon takes from it is, wow, i got to figure out how to do these signs. Not that what they're saying is really true and there's forgiveness with Jesus. Verse 14, we'll come back to Simon. Verse 14, the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God. They sent to them Peter and John. So this is interesting. I mean, Jesus is the head of the church, for sure. But the apostles at that time were the leaders of the church. Where? All of them. Right? If there's a dispute, well, let's ask the apostles. I mean, they walked with Jesus. They were trained for this very purpose. And not just in Jerusalem. When they hear of the faith of the Samaritans, they send Peter and John. Peter and John, aren't those the two highest apostles? They're definitely mentioned the most in Scripture, besides Paul. Peter and John, they go down to see. And this is, I think, important. And speaks to... The sovereignty of God, but also the wisdom of God. They go down to sea because you can understand how the church might be hesitant to receive the Samaritan believers. You know, they don't like each other already. Okay, well they're in, but they can't come into the, deep, the holy place. Stay out on the outside edge. You can come in kind of. This has perplexed me in the past because what we teach people is that when you are truly saved, when rebirth happens, you receive the Holy Spirit. Don't we teach that? And is it true? Yes. That is the teaching of Scripture. Well, what's going on here, Brother Bill? There's a collection of Samaritan believers that have not received the Spirit. And I'll say I don't know for sure. But what I think is going on here in this very early case in the life of the church is the Lord wanted the apostles to be a part of their receiving of the Spirit. There's significant um, animosity between Jews and Samaritans. And there would be concerns And if they had just heard through the grapevine, they've received the Spirit too. The church may have been like, I don't know, I don't know. But if they send Peter and John, and Peter and John go down and say they are believers, and we're going to pray right now that the Holy Spirit would come upon them, and the Holy Spirit does come upon them, well, they can testify. Peter, who can testify? Right. These are. This isn't just anybody testifying. This is Peter and John. They can go back to Jerusalem and say, no, it's legit. They received the Spirit just like we did. They are full members of the Gospel. I think that's why there was a delayed indwelling of the Spirit here. I think. But either way, the apostles did go down there and prayed for them, which shows that they really were believers. It wasn't um, false. And we have to assume that verse 18, and to the end of our section today, Simon was not one of those that received the Holy Spirit. Now, we're not told that. Verse 18 When Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. So either he's terribly backslidden, a true believer, and terribly backslidden almost immediately after his profession of faith, Or, he was never converted in the first place, but he wanted to be a part of what was going on, and he sees them giving out the Spirit by laying on of hands, and he thinks, oh man, I'm going to add this to my tricks, and it's going to be amazing, and my name will rise even more. Right? The text said before, he thought he was somebody great. Oh, if I can have the power of the Spirit at my command... This is going to be big time. How much money do I have to give you for you to give me this gift? This is one of the first examples of people combining money with the gospel. You've seen this, right? We have special items here today for the first $1,000 donations. The first 27 donations will get a special rock from the Holy Land of Jerusalem that's been prayed over by Mother Teresa herself. It's a holy icon of the faith. We'll give you one. Well, we'll sell you one. Right? That's really what they're doing. And what are they selling them? Superstition is what they're selling them. They're selling them nothing. And they're getting rich and taking advantage of naive people. God have mercy. I'm not praying that God will judge them and kill them. I'm praying He'll open their eyes to the evil that's in their hearts and they'll repent And we'll all see what God did and change their minds and their hearts. And they'll give back all the money they've stolen. It's one of the first examples here. Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Something that's not mentioned but I think we should discuss it. How do the people know that they actually receive the Spirit? How do they know? There was some... They had to have known. Do I know you have the Spirit? Do I know you have the Spirit? Well, I, I, I do because of your actions. But I didn't see the Spirit. But in these early days, they were. it was usually accompanied by... Other evidences that they had actually had the Spirit, right? On the day of Pentecost. How is it that we're hearing the gospel in our own tongue? They don't know my native language, but he's speaking to me fluently. The gift of languages, of tongues, given out by the Spirit as evidence, right? And as a gospel tool. I think there was probably some of that going on here as well. But doesn't say. Verse 20, Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money? Well, this is something you should open your mind to and listen. The gospel cannot be bought. Eternal life cannot be purchased. If it could, listen, if it could, people would definitely pay it. They would try to pay it. Wouldn't they? How many millions of dollars do people spend to try to prolong their lives even in one year? Two years! They say, you, you, have, you have a mortal illness. Well, how long do I have? Two years, tops. If you do a, a lot of intervention, maybe three And they say, okay, it's worth it. Yeah, liquidate everything. Well, if you could buy eternal life, people would definitely do it. But that's the thing. It's it's not for sale. It's a gift. God gives it to His people. They don't buy it and they don't earn it. He gives it to them. Why? Because it's his good pleasure to do so. Why? Ask him. He wanted to. That's why. Peter says this idea that you're going to buy the gift of God with money. Right. To have the Holy Spirit. In essence, that means you have eternal life. You thought you could buy eternal life with money? You have neither part nor lot in this matter. Your heart is not right before God. Repent. Peter is not impressed. This is very evil. Repent that somehow, if possible, you see how he words that? This is a very grievous sin. God may not. Is this blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? Probably not, but close. Pray to the Lord if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Seems pretty clear he has not received the Holy Spirit at this point. The only other way we could explain it is to say he had the Spirit, but now doesn't. Which I'm not willing to say that. Because the Scripture doesn't teach that. God gives out the Holy Spirit to his people, his chosen people, the ones that his son died for. He will not give it and then take it back. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to the day of completion. If we say, well, God began it in Simon, but Simon was just evil, so he took it back. I reject that. That is not the teaching of Scripture. What is more likely, or is the truth, is that he was never a believer in the first place. If you are born again, you are part of the kingdom of God. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Peter tells him, Your heart is evil, Simon. You're still looking for an angle to influence and amaze people. You're trying to use the gift of the Holy Spirit as part of your act? Talk about dishonoring God to use the good things of God as part of an act? He has the wrong intentions. Repent. And Simon pray to me pray for me to the Lord Peter he says, please pray that nothing of what you just said will actually happen to me I don't know if that's his repentance I'm, I'm unsure I, I tend to say no he just says all the stuff you just said sounds really bad I don't want that to happen to me But maybe it's his repentance. Not all repentances are as clear as others, right? You you hear the testimony of some believers and they'll say, I knew that God's wrath was upon me. And if I didn't repent, I would suffer. And I would be separated from God for all eternity. And others, you hear their testimony and they say, I heard about Jesus and I, I loved him ever since I was little. And their their emphasis on their own personal sin is different. I don't know if he repented or not. But definitely what he tried to do was evil. And has been in the scriptures for 2,000 years. For us to understand that this type of behavior is unacceptable. Verse 25. The apostles preach... They continue, When they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. So this is interesting, and I think we should um, take it to heart. They go to Samaria to, to investigate and to pray for these new believers. But when it's over, they don't just go back home the quickest way. They're like, we're already here. The Samaritans need the gospel, not just this village, all the villages. And they spend time doing that. And the gospel increases. Listen, in our time, you, you, your neighbor might know about Jesus, he might be a church member. All the people that you know at work might know about him. It's doubtful, but they might have heard the gospel. But there are certainly people in the world that need the work of gospel workers. Missionaries that go around the world. Don't lose your heart for missions, church. Yet, in your sphere of influence first, is my opinion, in your sphere first, preach to your friends and family and co-workers and acquaintances and somebody that you just happen to meet. Brother Chang would get telemarketing calls and he'd say, I'll listen to you, but first let me tell you something. And he would tell them the gospel in a five minute call. And I would say, Chang, why, why, why not just hang up? He's like, they call me! This is the perfect opportunity! You may not choose to do that, but do you see his heart? You never know who, what's going to be the way that God blesses people. Don't be afraid to speak. What, what's going to happen? They're going to say, oh, these Christians. Is, is that so bad? You're supposed to be different. You trying to fit in? With who? Don't you need to fit in with Christians? And from of old, they preach where they go. And they honor their God. More and more of the Samaritan villages are being saved. And listen, this is not a surprise, as I said from the beginning. Quote, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea. And Samaria unto and the end of the earth. Acts 1 8. Jesus knew the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. You will be my witnesses in this whole area, even Samaria, and really the whole world. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the Gospel. Thank You for revealing it to us. Thank You for bringing people to this country who preach the Gospel. Thank You for our ancestors. Oh Lord, please use us Help us to encourage each other, to teach each other, to strengthen each other's faith. Help us to be bold witnesses. Help us to not worry about the opinion of man, but the opinion of our God. And the blessing of Christ upon the lost. Father, bless us now as we eat together and the rest of our time together. It's a good time to be together. Thank you, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.